Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori, bringing you show 812. This is the final episode of 2023. We're going to take next week off, but we will be back at you the first week of January. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to talk about uh, test driving the GMC Canyon AT4, the midsize truck game. It gets a little bit more competitive. We're going to talk about some electric Jaguar E-types and Defenders from ECD. Road test editor Zach Palmer drove those. It's going to be fun to unpack that. I'm currently in the Genesis GV60. So we'll go from sort of resto mod electrics to current day electrics. Uh, lots of news to talk about. It's the end of the line for the Camaro. The Envision 74, that's that awesome looking 1980s style concept that Hyundai just keeps tantalizing us with. Maybe it's coming. We don't know. It, the rumors are just all over the place. Talk about McLaren GTS. We'll tell you what that is. And the most influential automotive leaders of 2023. With that, let's bring in, again, Road Test Editor, Zach Palmer. How are you? I'm doing great. This uh, almost, we're getting close to Christmas Eve here, aren't we? Uh, how, about, how about you? How are you doing over there? Doing good. It uh, feels a little warm out. Uh, warm out isn't like 40 degrees, which is not bad for the you know, one of the last weeks of December, feeling pretty good, but ready to take some time off, try to recharge a little bit. And then 2024 is going to be a good year. That's the great thing about Autoblog is it's different every day, you know? So um, there's no two Autoblogs. There's no two days, you know? So it's like start over and we'll see what the year will hold. I think it's going to be a good one, but we've got a few things to close out here. The last episode. There's always going to be new cars in the new year. Uh, I know I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know we actually always do a story. It seems like every year, the cars that we're looking forward to. So maybe even look out for that one on the site too. Check it out. We'll have lots of good stuff over the, that sort of week between Christmas and new year's, probably not as much news, you know, listeners as you're accustomed to, but I mean, you never know for starters. And also, uh, we'll have lots of good lists, things like that, that are usually, uh, get some discussion going, maybe get some arguments and, you know. Should be good. So tell me about the Canyon, the AT4. Yeah, man, so GMC Canyon AT4. Uh, I was pretty excited for these new GM midsize trucks. I think that most of us were, honestly, both the Chevy Colorado and the GMC Canyon. Uh, the one that I got to spend some time with here about a week ago uh, was, was the AT4. Now, that's not to be mistaken with the AT4X which is the equivalent to the Chevy Colorado ZR2. Uh, the big difference there is that the AT4X gets the fancy Multimatic shocks, more of a lift in general is a lot more off-road oriented than the AT4. That's not to say that the AT4 doesn't have its own good shops. It still has 9.6 inches of ground clearance, uh, some great off-road shocks, big knobby all-terrain tires. Uh, it's pretty high off the ground too. You really got to step up in there to get to it. Uh, I was I was noticing as I was driving along that I was pretty much even from a from a height place as like a regular F-150 or Ram 1500 out there. So tall truck. Uh, and uh, one just one thing that I noticed, like just it sitting there in the driveway, bigger truck uh, than than the uh, previous Canyon and Colorado. Uh, these these midsizers tend to gain size every time they're new. And this one is is definitely no different. Uh, the, the the one that I had was in this really cool sandy color, the black and tan interior. Uh, it felt like a perfect desert spec, sort of something like you have out in California or Arizona. Uh, really, really great looking 
looking thing. Honestly, that's that, that's one of the big, big things what I love most about the new GM midsizers is just the way they look. Uh, they are, they're gnarly with the big front skid plate. You got the awesome steps in the rear bumper to get up into the bed. Uh, just a really, really great truck design and they're really good to drive too. Uh, it has the 2.7 liter uh, turbocharged four cylinder. So big, big turbo um, and uh, a whole lot of torque from this thing. Um, and you really, really feel it when when you're driving it. You can tell that this is a big, big four cylinder in there. Uh, it's it makes a lot of vibrations. It makes a lot of noise. Uh, it's 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 all a bit you know more visceral than I was expecting it to be. Honestly, for a four cylinder, but uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of truck to haul around, and you got a lot of torque to get there. Uh, and it's it's fast, <laughs> which is which is fun. It, it it feels a lot better just just to drive around in like daily traffic than the V6 from before. Um, and that's, that's just because of all, all of the torque low down that you have, uh, that I, I really, really liked. Um, and more stuff that I like the interior, man, it, it is, it is so, so nice in there. Like I was shocked. It was not even, uh, the, uh, big top shelf luxury Denali trim, uh, just, just an AT4, you get leather, really great contrast stitching in there. Uh, some really cool color accents throughout the interior. Uh, leather steering wheel, like it, it, everything is super, super nice in there. Uh, and the one that I was driving was only forty six thousand uh, dollars, which honestly, when you're looking at trucks these days, it doesn't sound that bad of a price uh, for what you're getting. Like it, there's a this big eleven inch screen, wireless CarPlay, wireless Android Auto. This is not one of the GM vehicles like the EVs that are ditching Apple CarPlay. Uh, you still have all of that there. You have a big Big digital cluster in there too. Uh, has some really sweet off-road screens and monitoring systems in there. That, that I mean, now that is out of space versus the uh, previous gen that was quite quite low tech. This one, this one feels very very high tech. But at, at at the same time, like GM does it right with with, with trucks, and you still get a bunch of hard buttons for climate and radio controls. Uh, so all of that was right there and ready to go. Um, Honestly, this thing has like quickly become perhaps my favorite midsize truck out there. Uh, I, 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 it probably sounds like I've been giving it a lot of praise and that's because it deserves it. Uh, like everything about it is really, really good from the feeling of the interior to the design to the, the engine. The transmission is really, really smart and really doesn't hunt for gears or anything. It's, it's all just really well, really well put together. Um, and it's, it's a solid price too. So I'm, I, I'm excited to drive like the AT4X, or like the Colorado ZR2, cause those Multimatic dampers, I bet are going to rock, uh, both on-road and off-road. They're going to be really, really good. Um, yeah, this, this, this first taste of the Canyon, it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> it feels like GMC has finally matched Chevy in this segment with having a truck with a lot of character. Yeah. Uh, you know, mechanically, they were always basically the same, but it's like they really stepped it up with, you know, some of the off-road prowess with some of the, even the design elements, just looking at them. I, I kind of look at just the different things they've done here. And it's like, you don't normally see this out of GMC vehicles. So I, I, I think it's a, this is kind of what they needed to do to the Canyon. They needed to give it an attitude because it was a little bit of an afterthought in the segment, right? You know, you've got this Coma's new, the Gladiator kind of is what it is. Uh, you know, the Colorado is always very good. You know, you throw things like the Ridgeline in there. Uh, you have a lot of different options for how you could spend your money. And 
you know, I think they finally did did step it up quite a bit. You know, I'm probably forgetting what Nissan Frontier, forgetting that. And then also, if you're if you want like a good value, you can step down to a Maverick or something or the Hyundai Santa Cruz. You know, so it's like down isn't even the right word. Just get like a smaller vehicle, maybe with a slightly different mission. So uh, much needed overhaul for the. Yeah, hugely needed, and honestly, they 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 aced it. Like, obviously, like the previous gen. Really, to your point there, like I wouldn't really consider the Canyon. Like I would have just looked at the Colorado for the uh, for the previous gen. You know, if if you're looking at Chevy versus GMC, I would have just I'll just go get the Chevy. But now it's like, man, this 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 GMC has just like you said, it has a lot of character with that with the AT4 trim. You have something unique and like specific to the GMC brand. And uh, I don't know, it, it makes it a lot more alluring and enticing for me. Uh, even even with the slight price discrepancy, like you, you still will pay more for the GMC, of course, but I think you're genuinely getting more. Uh, it has like a really cool exterior design and unique interior elements. So great job, GMC. All right, so let's shift gears over to the electric space. Uh, I drove the GV60. But before we do that, let's talk about things that are a little, uh, little more, I don't know, a little saucier, if you will. This is Land Rover and Jaguar. Um, we've got electric versions done by ECD. Why don't you tell everybody who these guys are in case you might not know. And then you drove the Defender and the E-Type. So Yeah, yeah, man. ECD Auto Design. So they are basically a resto mod builder based out of Kissimmee, Florida. They've been around since early 2010s, 2013, um, and they've been they they basically started out life uh, rebuilding, resto modding, completely modifying Land Rover Defenders. And I don't mean like the new Land Rover Defender; I mean the old old one that was sold in the UK. Uh, they would import a bunch of those every single week, every single month, completely strip them down, build it back with new and better parts put different powertrains in them, customize them to whatever you want. I am, I'm talking like paint the sample, bring in a purse that you like the color of and they'll paint it that color. Uh, same thing with, with, with the interior, uh, pick whatever upholstery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so they were just building defenders for the longest time. And then they sort of branched out into Land Rover Range Rovers uh, and they made the Range Rover Classic Resto Mod similar idea as as the defender but uh just a, just a different model uh what i went down there to drive and now i i will say i also drove one of the land rovers but i i specifically went down there with the jaguar e-type in mind now this is a new build for them uh completely out of left field but not too out of left field because it's also british uh but uh nothing like their land rover builds so they are now uh, restoring and modifying Jaguar E-types. So talking Series 1, Series 2, and Series 3, uh, the most of most of which that, that they're doing are the Series 2 uh, because there's a lot of those out there and you can get them for a lot more of a reasonable price than the Series 1, which are arguably the best looking ones out there. The Series 1 Cooper convertible, those are the classiest, just the the, the oldest design, uh, but hey, there's there's nothing wrong with the Series 2 either. It's still beautiful. It's still one of the most beautiful cars ever made, as far as I and I bet a lot of people listening are probably concerned. <laughs> um, so 
What they're doing with the E-Types, though, it is slightly different than what they're doing with, with, with the Land Rovers. Instead of, like, completely new body panels, completely new interior, uh, ECD is kind of just trying to restore it to its original luster. They're trying to make it look as original as possible. Uh, wheels, grill, details such as lights, uh, interior seats, and whatnot. They don't want it to look like a resto mod. They want it to look like an original E-Type. Uh, however, just like a brand new E-Type. Where it gets interesting, where it gets a little trickier is when you look at the powertrains because you can actually just ask them to rebuild and restore the original inline six or V12 that are in these things, but they will do other things. They will put in a, uh, a GM small block engine. They'll throw an LT1 in there. Uh, so that's that's the, uh, the 6.2 liter V8, 450 horsepower. If, if you want a modern engine, modern technology. Uh, but to take a step even further, they will change it to an electric car. So they will drop in a big old battery under the hood and route an electric motor to provide power to the rear wheels. That is the version that I drove. Uh, that is the, what I've been leading up to with all of this. Uh, so the one that I drove has a 42 kilowatt hour battery pack in it, an electric motor, just around 300 horsepower, zero to 60 in about five seconds. Uh, without bearing the lead, this thing kind of rocks to drive. Uh, the, the, the really big thing about it that I, I, I think makes a difference versus every EV that most of us have driven at this point is that it's lightweight. Uh, it only weighs about 3,000 pounds, just under 3,000 pounds actually. Uh, and most EVs these days, well, they're four to five to six to, you look at the Hummer, it's nearly 10,000 pounds. Uh, and there aren't really any EV sports cars out there either. You know, when you're looking at two-seaters, coupes, convertibles, those simply don't exist. Um, we are going to get the Boxster EV here soon, and that'll make me a liar. And we will have an EV sports car, but not yet. Uh, and this sort of just, uh, you know, gave me uh, a thought that, hey, these EV sports cars are actually probably going to be pretty fun. Because this was a really, really great time. Uh, and uh, I, I had just such, such a blast driving around in a lightweight, rear-wheel drive, convertible sports car that was electric. Uh, it made great electric motor sounds, so it, it wasn't without personality or anything like that. Uh, they, they throw some more modern suspension on there, so it doesn't handle like crap. You know, it, it, it feels like, it, it, it certainly doesn't feel like a modern-day Cayman or anything like that, but, you know, it's... From, from what ECD tells me, they handle a lot better than what an original E-Type with its standard, much cushier suspension would would feel like. Um, and uh, yeah, like overall, like really, really fun experience driving this thing. Range is about 140 miles on the highway, 200 miles in the city. Does have DC fast charging. Uh, and they're even going to the Tesla Max connector here in a couple of years. So... Yeah, they're they're serious about this. They've they've made seven total E-types so far, uh, only a few electric ones. So lucky to get to drive one of their first that they that they produced. And I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty positive right now about electric resto modding because this is this is a thing that I think we're going to see even more of as the years go on and things from the 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. Uh, you know, maybe you don't want to keep working on that. You know, very ancient V8 that. Uh, that has no parts for it any longer. Uh, what can you do? Well, you can electric convert it. Turns out they're pretty fun to drive still. So that was that was the E-Type. <laughs> yeah, no, that one would be the one I would have made a beeline to drive to. I've, I've never driven an E-Type. I think 
on my list of like vintage cars I've driven, I drove a 61 Mercedes SL, which was awesome. And I drove a 68 or 69 Alfa Romeo Spider. When I look at cars of like that era, I feel pretty good about that. Like I've been very fortunate and lucky, but the E-Type is up there. It's definitely a grail for me. So I'm a little jealous you got to drive one. Uh, that to me would be the big attraction. I think what's interesting here is bringing in the electric element of it could get somebody who maybe never even drove the original. Like to your point, maybe you don't want to deal with a 60-year-old engine, which you may not be able to work on it, but you got to pay somebody to, or maybe you do have to work on it and it's a bit of a quagmire. So I think there's a lot to like here, especially as you look at how old some of the, uh, I guess like the stock, the catalog is, you know, like you might be able to get an E-Type that's in like, okay shape, but is it still going to be really drivable? Yeah, maybe. Sure. Put all the money in the world to do it and you'll get a show car. I mean, that's how it works. You know, but another option, it's intriguing as you lay out, is have these guys do it and you get the brakes, the suspension and the power plant, but it still looks like an E-Type. I mean, I'm looking at your pictures here and obviously they, they didn't mess with perfection. So the design is is certainly striking. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's obviously something that you can't buy on the used market. Uh, you, you can't go up to Jaguar and be like, hey, I'll take one brand new Jaguar E-Type. Uh, you got to go to somebody like this. <laughs> And, uh, and one thing that I did not mention that I absolutely should, because it's a massive uh, thing, is the price. Uh, they started $300,000. So you got to be loaded if, if, if you want. I mean, that is, that is more than the base price of a lot of supercars out there. So, you know, it's obviously not somebody's first car in their collection. This is, this is a very limited thing. Uh, and, you know, it's fairly limited production, too. Uh, they, like I said, they, they've only made seven so far and they've, they've been making them for a few months. So yeah, expensive, but kind of worth it after, after seeing it and driving it. Like, uh, you just, you, you can't go out there and get a brand new E-type and also have, you know, it, 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 it costs a lot of money to design the, the electrical system or to do the engine swap. Like they, they have to do a lot with the, uh, um, the chassis, as far as like actually getting the battery in there, it's, 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 it's actually kind of neat seeing it. Cause like the massive front end, obviously that is, is, is so much of an E-type characteristic. Uh, it fits a battery, which is, which is cool. Like you, you get a sizable battery in there and you still have a 50, 50 weight distribution. So neat, neat thing that they're able to electric convert it without really messing with, with the design is honestly one of the one of the big things for me and that like, uh, maybe you might have to change a fender here. You might have to change the hood height here or something. No, it's just, it's just any type. Um, and, uh, it just happens to be powered by electric. So that wasn't the only thing that I drove though. Um, I, uh, I hit that Land Rover Defender too, which, uh, I also wrote a story about that. You can go check that out online. That was the, uh, this is sort of their bread and butter resto mod. Um, this is what they've been doing forever. Uh, so this 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 was a 110. Uh, this car was originally imported from England, of course, and then completely stripped down to nothing but the frame, and built up to be like the E-Type, basically a brand new Defender. Uh, but through ECD's vision, uh, this one happened to be just the absolute craziest build possible. Uh, it has the LT4 engine in it, which is GM supercharged V8. It's the same engine that's in like the Escalade V. Cadillac CTV Blackwing, Camaro ZL1, uh, 
it's some big power that we're talking here. Uh, so 650 horsepower in this thing. Uh, and it is basically a farm vehicle. That's what defenders have always sort of been. Uh, it's wild, absolutely wild. Like I, they, there are not many cars where I've been like, hmm, I'm a little hesitant to go full throttle, but on this thing, like you, you just keep inching your foot down further and further and further. It's like, Oh, we're, we're moving in this thing. And, and the steering is like lock to lock, like barely goes anywhere. Uh, it's, it's, it feels, you know, like an old, old car with a crazy amount of horsepower. And it feels like you can get yourself into trouble if you're not watching what you're doing. Um, but when you do give it the full beans, it is ridiculously fast. I would compare it to something like a Ram TRX or a Wrangler 392. And that you're just in this giant off-road vehicle that is moving at a clip that really feels like it should not be moving at. Uh, and it's making the craziest noises supercharger wine like crazy exhaust is super loud this was their loudest exhaust option on this one uh it is it is theater it is it is a wild vehicle to drive um and it also i mean this one it, it, this had to be possibly like their most expensive build because uh, it had the fox shocks it had the air suspension on it which are both options on these things uh, it had this really sweet white leather with with contrast yellow stitching and yellow gauges and sort of goes back to the thing where I was saying like everything is customizable on the car. Um, and this one, this one was loaded, loaded to the gills. Um, it's kind of what what you get if you just want to throw the book at them and uh, hey, make me the craziest thing that you can. Um, and uh, yeah, it is crazy to drive. There's 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 no doubt about that. It lives up to all the specs that I just said. So I'm I, I'm not sure how how good it is off road um, because of all of the wild stuff that they've thrown at it. Um, I didn't get to take it off road. I only drove it on the street. Um, but uh, but a really really cool experience nonetheless. If if you're a, a nerd a dork about defenders and like love American V8s and want something like this, I'm not sure where a better place is to go to get it. So they they've been doing it a while. <laughs> Yeah, these guys do some cool things. It, um, you know, it's really interesting to look at like the market for old Defenders, Broncos, old Jeeps, where you're seeing these companies like Icon's a great example. You know, you you take what's essentially the shell and then you do all this other stuff, whether it's electric, more power, uh, and you really create these like almost one of a kind, like truly unique luxury items. So, I mean, ECD is, you know, definitely starting to take a corner on the market with it. Uh, you look at the potential customers, and I would assume the Defender is quite expensive too. It's, it's you know, again, like the guy, it's for somebody who already has a valuable car in their collection, then you want something else. I mean, for example, Prince Harry drove an electric Jaguar in his wedding. So that's like sort of your market. And that one was one uh, that Jaguar is in the factory had converted because they actually have a program like this too. And those cars, and this is a couple of years ago, started at $400,000. So, um, you know, it's not cheap. That, that was actually something that I was chatting about them with it. Uh, Jaguar started that program and they revealed the car, Prince drove it, et cetera, but it's been halted. Uh, they're not, oh, interesting. Yeah, they're not, they're not building or breaking news. It. It's, 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 it's not breaking news. I want to say that it, it, it came out like six months ago or like a year ago that they just weren't going to do it. 
Um, they were in some sort of financial turmoil at the time, and it's just, ah, all right, this we're, we're just going to let this cool old restoration program go by the wayside. So I wish that you could say you could buy an electric converted Jag from Jag, but you can't right now. Maybe they will come back with a program. Yeah. So It's interesting when you look at some of the different OEMs, like that they do have these like heritage centers where they um, sort of will, like they'll use the original plans, the blueprints. Sometimes they can even remake refabricate the parts uh sometimes they even happen to have the old like equipment laying around most of the time they don't but i, I kind of when they did announce this i thought it was cool because like hey you know you could bring back your old car to the factory and then do something different so you know that's fine too i guess so it goes you got to make cuts somewhere and probably building super expensive electric jaguars that it could be a bit of a distraction for a you know a factory if you will so just maybe just maybe so let's talk about the genesis gv60 that is an all-new electric car not all new it's been up for a year or two at this point but it's in my driveway um so i would call it almost like a lifted hatch that's probably the footprint of it if you will uh this is i'm driving one that's a little bit more up the food chain if you will it's the performance version which gives you a nicer interior and you know lots of other good things uh, the one i'm starting I, I don't have all of the details but it, it starts at about sixty nine thousand dollars so that's a little that's not nothing i would say uh is everything in there it's a cool electric car it looks nice interior is very is very elegant uh, i will say this for the price i would look at like an ev6 or an ionic 5 which are genetically you know similar vehicles from hyundai motor company if you will i think you can get perhaps better not perhaps you can get better value than this but if you really like how this car looks it's it's got all some of the genesis tricks like the orb you know that rolls over uh in the center console that's always a good party trick for somebody who has never driven in a genesis before it's a it is a nicer interior than i think you know the kia and the hyundai models are a bit of a more upscale vibe uh, this one uh, is rated at 235 uh, miles of electric range it's gonna be interesting i have this car for the next week which means i have it over christmas so i'm not driving super far this year but there's gonna have to be some planning ahead and some strategy about well okay i think we might maybe go out to ann arbor for like a day trip which it's not far it's all metro detroit but when you live on one side of town, you go out there, it's like 100 miles, maybe, you know, as the crow flies once you've driven back and forth. And then, of course, it's pretty cold out here, as we mentioned. Uh, sunny, but still cold. So that means batteries don't seem to hold their charge as well. They don't charge as quickly. So all of that kind of goes into it. Like right now, I'm sitting at 173 miles when I drove it this morning. It's plenty of range. But at the same time, I don't want to be coasting in maybe on like, say, I don't know, Friday evening, and I'm like, am I going to make it? You know, and then where do I charge it? Then what about tomorrow? So I am excited, I guess, about that little adventure. There's a quick charger fairly nearby. As long as it's open, I can, you know, basically get everything I need from that. But I think I want to charge sort of in the middle of some of these trips too, just to like add that sort of electric vehicle owner lifestyle element to it. Um, and generally with Kias, I've had mostly good luck um charging not always but um you know we'll see it's yeah. it's been a while since i drove this car i think probably a year since tech of the year 
Yeah, no, the uh, I, I would definitely recommend throwing one of the uh, the EV chargers into the navigation system itself, just so it'll precondition for you, because that is that is so vital this 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 time of year, honestly. Like, if it doesn't pre-warm the battery, you'll just be sitting there waiting for it to warm the battery at the charger. And I know I I did that plenty of times with our our EV6 because it did not have battery preconditioning. You just sort of sit there and oh, okay, it's 40 kilowatt. Now it's 50 kilowatt speed. Like it should be going at 220. Um, but that's just the, the, the realities of charging an EV in winter time. Um, no, that's, that's, I mean, the, the GV60 is, has always been thing is, is, has always been one of the cars that I have, I've really, really defended a lot. Uh, cause I think they're really fun to drive for what they are. I think they look really neat, um, but to your point there about the price, and I was I was I was looking at the price. Uh, it's, it's even raised from twenty three to twenty four. Um, the the one that you have cresting over seventy thousand dollars. That is a lot of money to ask for that car, especially when you throw it into the context of like an EV six GT that starts just over sixty thousand uh, dollars. The Ionic five N is probably going to be you know right around the same same price mark uh and those those have like real real performance um and are also super nice inside they might not be like as nice as as the more luxurious gv60 but from a utility from a utility perspective and just absolute performance uh it's it is it is tough to justify getting the gv60 um you just gotta like the design, which I do, man. Yeah, I, you know, it, I agree with you there. It does look good. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm sort of talking myself out of this car, but at the same time, like, man, I really like it. <laughs> Might be a good used car in a couple of years. You know, it's a definitely a backhanded compliment, but maybe there's a bit of a depre depreciation hit and it goes back to a more palatable price. You know, yeah, I don't know. That's 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 definitely been a thing. I, I, I think I saw just a regular EV6 GT line on cars and bids the other day. Uh, that's a car that MSRPs for over sixty thousand dollars. That was just one year old, and it was only bid to and sold for like thirty one thousand uh, dollars. So that's like that lost half its value, like a year. Uh, I can only imagine a luxury car GV sixty uh, might just be doing the same thing. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's a smart thing to look out for. Look out for these like a certified pre owned or something, a year old. You might get a lock and deal. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I, I will agree with you on the styling. I This one's kind of like a champagne colored, I would guess, like a rosé. It's got the big wheels. It's getting a lot of attention. Everybody looks at it because it's, it's a very attractive car. It's well-designed. They did some nice things like with the hatchback that make it stand out. Like they sort of, they make it like, they almost like highlighted different functional elements of the car, which I think is cool. You don't see that all that much seems like right now the move is like make everything blend in. You don't see anything. And now it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know. The AMC Pacer comes to mind, which is a bizarre comparison, but it's got that sort of distinctive look. So I like it. I mean, literally multiple people have brought up the design this week and I've only had it since Monday and it's Wednesday. So, um, you know, when you're getting that kind of attention, I think the, the stylists are earning their money. Let's put it that way. So let's talk about the Camaro. Camaro's done. Uh, we had a nice post about the final one rolling off the line. It's um, of all of the different of the pony cars, if you will, and the muscle cars, Camaro has a fairly uncertain future. We don't really know what's going to happen next. We know 
The CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, is a fan of the Camaro. It has some very powerful advocates inside the company, you know, uh, executives who like it, like Mark Royce, Al Oppenheiser, who I believe heads their EV program, was the chief engineer, and he knows, you know, carries a lot of weight within the company. So I struggle to think it's done forever. And really, what famous car brand or nameplate is really ever done, you know? Things like the Land Cruiser were done, and then boom, eight months later, it's back. Um, but I think, you know, as I look forward, what I would do, I think this is a great time to go all electric for the Camaro. I think you mentioned earlier how, like, outside of the Boxster, this, you know, 718 EV that's coming uh, within the next year or so, which I think will be awesome. Um, I think Camaro's got some some open field for it. You know, it really does. I think right now you've got the Mustang, which they've basically said they're going to go with this template probably for the rest of the decade. You've got the Mach-E, but hey, that's a crossover for the most part. It is. You've got Mopar. Is They're going to do something with the Daytona um, concept, but they haven't exactly said what the Charger and the Challenger are going to be per se. We've heard some rumors they might even bring, you know, that hurricane in line six. So all that's to say, I feel like, hey, General Motors, bring out an electric Camaro. And I think you could carve out your own sort of niche. I think what I would do, and I wrote a column about this a while ago, is go back to a riff on that 1980s design. I think that would, I believe that's Gen 3, that would give you... I feel like the right kind of forward-looking, optimistic, Tron-like look uh, that would go well with electric. So that's what I would do. What would you do? Man, uh, I would definitely hope that it it is a two-seat coupe and convertible, uh, whatever it is. Obviously, we have the Mustang Mach-E. They, uh, they use the Mustang name for a crossover, an electric crossover. Fine and all. Fun, fun car to drive, cool car to look at. Um, and you know, I, I think that the only way that they could probably go wrong with what Camaro means next is if it is like exactly like a Mach-E, but without the actual two-seat coupon convertible to go with it as in like, hey, this is why Camaro is cool because it is this, you know, it's this muscle car. It's, it's a muscle electric coupe. Or, and, uh, and now you can also have Camaro be this muscle electric crossover uh, sort of thing. I just hope that it sort of, you know, maintains the same, the same area, you know, the same sort of buyer as, as, as it gets today. Um, it has to be good to drive, has to handle well, has to be fast as hell. Uh, you know, it, it has to, has to sort of be what everybody knows a Camaro is. Um, and they, they, they can't really, you know, like, like they did with the blazer i know that really made a lot of people mad where they just came out with a chevy blazer and well it's just this sort of like car like crossover it's not like the off-road thing that everybody knows in the past um so long as they don't really screw up like what it is at its core i think that chevy will be golden there because people know the name well and they should definitely bring it back and keep it going um so yeah i don't know i I really, I, I had sort of a love-hate relationship with, with, with the Camaro that's, that's leaving right now. Um, I loved the way it drove. I hated that you couldn't see out of it. The visibility was just like the worst of any new car out there. 
Um, but it, uh, it, it, it gets a bit of a bad rap just because they didn't sell that well. It, it's genuinely like the best driving among, amongst like the Mustang and Challenger. Um, if, if you're looking at like sports cars, best handling. And, you know, if, if, if they keep that in the electric era, it's still like the best handling out there. It's super fun and fast. I, I'm all for that. I'll see. I think it's going to be, uh, that's going to be one of the interesting questions of 2024 is do we get any word on the Camaro? Do they show some kind of concept? Uh, is this even a priority for General Motors? I think it should be because again, like there's, there's an open field right now in this area of the market. And I think you, uh, you definitely, you could be the company that does that. It's one of those rare opportunities where you kind of look around and you're like, hmm, okay, there's nobody here. Maybe we should do this. And they weren't selling all that many of them. And anybody who wants like a, a V8 Camaro, well, there's the used market. You can still probably get some through dealers. So it's like, I don't think you have to worry that much about alienating your core base because they've already sort of made their piece. So in some ways, it's a really nice transition. We'll see. Uh, let's talk about the Hyundai Envision 74. This is a concept that we just keep talking about. Um, it's supposed to be a fuel, fuel cell car. It looks like a, you know this design from the 70s, actually. It's Jujaro, I believe, is the guy who originally penned it. So it's it's wild. They've shown it a couple times. I think actually they've even let one or two people drive it. Latest rumors, they're going to build a limited edition of them. I mean, the rumors have been all over the place. They're, they're not going to build it. Then they're going to build it. They deny that they're going to build it. You know, like the PR entity says, no, we're not doing it. Then some executive will like shoot their mouth off. I mean, nobody knows what's going to really happen here. But I mean, I'll just say this. I think they should. I think they have the design. I wouldn't mess around with the fuel cell. Just don't do that. Like, do you want anybody to buy your car? What are you, what are you trying to do? Don't do that. Make it electric. And, you know, there you go. So what do you think of this thing? Yeah, this is this has been one of the, the most ping-ponging uh, on-again, off-again cars I feel like we've had in, in a while, honestly. Like, hey, what, just like you were saying, like, we're going to build it. We're not going to build it. I guess they're going to build like a hundred of them, according to this latest report. Um, again, grain of salt. That uh, that seems like a decent amount, honestly, for if it is going to be a like a fuel cell car, like it was originally intended to be. Like drop fifty of them in California, uh, fifty of them in Europe, or something like that. Save some for Asia, where they have uh, hydrogen filling stations. Uh, it'll be the super rare one of the coolest looking things ever built out there. And maybe you can drive it around LA and Angeles crest and whatnot. Um, now, if, if they were to make it electric, then I'd say, well, Hey, make a lot more than a hundred of these things, like sell them everywhere. Like everybody would buy them, uh, that wants, you know, that is into cars and wants an EV like this, this design has just been one of the most universal. I like it, uh, sort of responses that I've, I've seen in a long time. I, I, I've seen the car twice in person at auto shows. Absolutely stunning both times. Uh, it gets massive crowds, uh, even when they're not like doing some big reveal or anything like that. Like the car is still mobbed because of how pretty it is. Um, I like the fact that the rumor is on right now. That's that's about as 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 much as I can say about that. 
I hope that it doesn't get shot down again and that maybe just maybe they can build some uh that would that would definitely make me happy and i and it would probably make a small number of people happy if the rumor is true that that there's only a hundred <laughs> they'd be very expensive i'm sure yeah i i tend to think with the in the case of these rumors it's more like maybe things are shifting inside the company hard to say but i think it's also more like just the messages are kind of like Somebody says something, then somebody denies it. So it's hard to say if the vehicle itself is ever really, like there's anything actually changing. It's more just like, you know, a game of telephone. But we'll see. I mean, I've been strongly advocating for electric sports cars in this podcast. Um, there we go. And it's funny because uh, one of my neighbors has a uh, an old Boxster, I think maybe 20 years old, red with black wheels. Not quite sure why it's it's been in the garage for at least a month or two, and I was walking the dog last night. And I'm like, oh hey, what's this car doing now? It's kind of like almost like a Christmas present, just sitting on the street. It's red. Uh, I will say this: one of those older, you know, I think this one's probably 15, 16 years old at least. That that's going to be fun too. I think that's where you're going to also get some renewed interest in different types of used cars when you can't get maybe the new one new that you want, because, hey, it's electric, and like I said, that could be good, but you want that, like, visceral, you know, internal combustion experience, and, you know, that's where some of the, I think, the used market, you're going to see values start to go up there as well. So, um, yeah, let's talk about <laughs> I, I should just add on to that. Speaking as a completely unbiased right. owner of an old Porsche Boxster with the flat six and manual transmission. Forgot about that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if the values yeah. went up. <laughs> if uh, what you were saying there came true. Um, the values ha have honestly been slowly, slowly creeping up over the past like 10 years, I want to say, but it's still like the most attainable Porsche. Um, but hey, if the electric one comes out and everybody's like, oh my God, I can't buy a new flat six Porsche. Boxster, uh, now I got to go buy an old one. Cool, let's 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 skyrocket the old prices. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Cool. Uh, well, I feel like we're like trying to pump up the stock price here or something of your car. Um, no, 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 no. I want to enjoy it for a while yet. I don't yeah, wanna, it's going to be yours for a bit anytime soon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a car like that you really could keep. They're so well engineered. You might want to just keep it, you know, and then add to your garage or something get a bigger garage you know you don't need a bigger house but you need a bigger garage that's so. that's that's a tempting thing i man i i asked uh somebody in in construction here recently how much would it cost to expand my garage i'm like well like fifty thousand dollars i'm like oh okay cool um maybe pass for now um, yeah yeah I for can... fifty thousand dollars you buy a bigger house with a bigger <laughs> garage you know that's the down payment i guess yeah but and... In case anyone's in the garage expanding business, I know uh, Byron, uh, one of our uh, associate editors, Byron Hurd, is in is is currently in in the business of expanding his garage. So, it uh, it's 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 a tricky business for sure. <laughs> Building anything is expensive. All right. If you get a little bit more space in your garage, perhaps you might want to put a McLaren GTS in there. There's a new version of it. It's V8. It's not electric. Uh, this is the the updated, the model year refresh, if you will. I guess it's been about three or four years since they last updated the GT. It gets a new name. It gets a letter. So it's the GTS now. A little bit more horsepower for the V8. Uh, it's a little bit lighter. There's more carbon fiber. They did some design stuff. I don't really see a big difference in that front. 
but I mean, McLarens don't often have dramatic departures. Um, we don't have any pricing details, but this was sort of like, almost like, I mean, the name, the GT, this is sort of meant to be like, more accessible isn't the right word, but almost more like, and not even the entry point either, but just like a, okay, watered down isn't the right point either. I'm struggling to find the way to uh, describe this car because I don't want to like, you know, give it backhand compliments, but it's not the 720 or the 750 or 760. It's it's meant to be more like the more accessible, more entry-level car, you know? Um, I drove a beautiful blue one. We were talking about how we thought it seemed like maybe last year and it was actually 2020. What is time? Um, I drove it almost four years ago. Uh, um, and I, I can see what they're going for. I've actually driven, uh, I think I drove this car on the track too, like at a different point. So I think um, it's definitely a, it's a very drivable McLaren, you know, and I think it definitely gives you uh, uh, most of the thrills of driving McLaren. It looks like a McLaren. It sounds like a McLaren. And I imagine, you know, when they, when we get to drive the GTS, it's going to be more of the same. This is sort of like continuing the lineage. You might remember the MP4-12C. They keep building on these cars and, you know, proliferating the lineup. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, more on this to come when we get to drive it. But I think, um, uh, you know, optimistic they could continue that sort of, you know, genealogy. And again, it's more power and less weight. So sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. You know, it, it looks like sort of your textbook mid-cycle refresh. Um, one thing that I, I, I really do like are the new side air intakes. Uh, they just look a lot more aggressive to me than than before, which is which is definitely more my style as, as, as far as a supercar. I, I, I want to say if there was anything that I could criticize about the GT before was that it was just a little sedate looking uh, as far as McLarens go. Uh, you know, the 570S was more aggressive. Obviously, a 720 was far more aggressive. Um, but this was this was sort of meant to be like the well, the GT Grand Tour of, of the bunch. And I think that the GTS, maybe for somebody like me or for others that might have been like, mm, I just I want something that, you know, looks more like a supercar. I think that this like genuinely does look more like a supercar with 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 the new front end and new side air intakes and uh it's just it feels like uh you know something that be that that could be compared better to like a Huracan um or like a Ferrari 296 as as opposed to like a Porsche 911 turbo um or just something that's a little more grand tour esque so that is cool to see I like that uh and of course we got a new name too so Everybody that buys a GT has to go swap out for the GTS in their garage now, get the newest, latest, and greatest from McLaren. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I, I guess it is sort of par for the course for everything that we normally see from from McLaren, just like the 750S uh, from from the 720S refresh. It's all just sort of, sort of iterative stuff. Uh, haven't been anything. Obviously, if you want something truly groundbreaking, you go to the Arturo. Um, so that's 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 the one that I'm I'm probably most excited about within the McLaren lineup to drive one day, getting a handle on their their hybrid powertrain. But uh, but in the meantime, man, Grand Tour, it's it's it it is good to see that McLaren is continuing to offer something like that that actually puts utility out of priority. 
Yeah, I mean, McLaren was one of the early supercar makers that was experimenting with hybrid tech. They even had a plug-in, uh, one of their models about five, six years ago. Not a you know significant amount of range, but they went for it. Then you could use that electrical currents to like give the car more power in different ways. So that was kind of cool. Uh, to me, it's just a little almost surprising when you look at like the trajectory of McLaren. You know, in 2008, 2009, they weren't making road cars. And now, you know, fast forward 16 years or so, and it's like, boom, they have a full lineup. They're talking about, we're even hear, hearing rumors of a crossover SUV kind of thing. They've really stood up, a, you know, a very credible portfolio when, I mean, I remember when they launched the 12C, people were like, well, we'll see if, you know, they could even sell a few of these and be any sort of a competitor. And, you know, now they're, they're out there. So, all right, well, let's close up this section with, uh, I wrote an end of year column called the most influential leaders of 2023. Uh, I, I think it's that time of year where we start to kind of reflect on how things have gone product wise, you know, the industry and the people I came up with, uh, you know, I had Sean Fain, the UAW's leader is number one. I think I haven't seen, you know, contract talks like this in years, really in my lifetime. And to me, it's like he did emerge with a, a victory for the union that I also think was pretty livable. But as I wrote, he did a really good job of controlling the narrative and really like controlling the negotiations, you know, with the targeted strikes. Uh, it seemed like he led the way and the car companies were always responding. And I think that, you know, regardless of how you feel about you know, either side or how you feel about, you know, the different, you know, negotiating, like the elements of the deal. I don't think you could question that this was his process and he owned it. And the Detroit three CEOs were always playing catch up with him. And then the rest of the list here, I mean, I have Elon Musk on there, you know, love him, hate him. He was very influential this year in a variety of ways. Uh, I thought, you know, getting the cyber truck out there, which I saw this weekend, there was one on Woodward Avenue. You know, that's that was definitely, I think, a big win for him. The problem is, is then they had a huge recall like a week later of basically every Tesla ever made since 2012. It's a bit of a mixed bag for him. I also think, you know, his influence across so many different platforms from space to social media to cars. And sometimes it's tough to separate that. I think that also, you know, makes him hugely influential, even more than a lot of just a normal, very powerful multimillionaire CEO. Uh, that that's a probably good segue to, you know, you get to two of the three Detroit CEOs I thought had influential years. Mary Barra, this is going to be her tenth year uh, at General Motors. Uh, she's made a lot of tough calls. I think she's, you know, I think she's the most respected leader in the industry. I think, quite frankly, that's kind of how you could sum up her status. Uh, she's already in the Hall of Fame, um, the Automotive Hall of Fame, but there's a lot of work ahead for General Motors too. They've got to actually launch their EVs. Um, you know, she's been in charge of GM for quite some time, but she's only actually one year older than Jim Farley, who is still, I think, trying to carve out what his legacy is going to be. Now I had him as my number four, you know, Ford has done a lot, you know, with the Lightning and the Mach-E on the, you know, electric vehicle front. Uh, they've done some creative things to try to, 
uh, you know, sort of reset their mission as a company. As a CEO, I think he's done a good job of being the leader. You know, he hosts the podcast, he races cars, he sets an agenda. I think that's something his two predecessors never got right. You never really knew what Ford stood for under those guys. So I think in that sense, he's been their best CEO since Alan Mulally, who obviously, you know, was, you know, goes in the Mount Rushmore Ford CEOs. So that's kind of, that's my list. Check out the column. You know, I'd love to hear, you know, listeners, what you guys think, who, you know, who else had an influence. I tended to go a little more based on like the decisions they made this year versus like, and I, I thought it was easier to look at the CEO level for the most part. Uh, and I mean, Sean Fain is the CEO, he's the president, but he's the, the head man at the UAW. So that's kind of how I landed on it. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of closing that out. Um, yeah. And I, I, I really like the Farley pick there. Uh, I, I think, I mean, Ford has honestly like single-handedly uh, like pushed everybody to uh, max the, to the Tesla charger. And uh, like, I mean, maybe people were talking about it before Ford actually did it, but like, that was one thing on my bingo card that I, I did not have at all for, for the year was like quite literally every single major manufacturer saying, okay, we're going to ditch CCS. We're going to ditch the electric charge port that we've been using for years at this point and go to Tesla's. And uh, I'm not sure if, if, if any other OEM would have done that, honestly, except, except for Farley and Ford. Um, Farley seems to have a bit of a relationship with Elon and Tesla. I think he talks back and forth with Elon on Twitter. He had a Twitter spaces with, with Elon. Like they seem to have like Ford and Tesla have a weird, strange, you know, sort of rivalry slash relationship that I don't, I, I just think it really, really kickstarted things for him there. And Farley, I think is a huge, huge part of that. So yeah, I, I, I really like Farley. I mean, he's, he's pushed, arguably the entire industry into this. We just saw Volkswagen Group yesterday uh, signed on as being like, God, like the 27th or the 28th major auto manufacturer to announce their switch to Nax. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think your point is spot on. Without Ford, which is, you know, the second largest U.S. manufacturer, they have a lot of EVs, probably doesn't happen. And I think that's where you look at somebody like Farley who thinks you know, very differently, I think, in many ways. He definitely has spent a lot of time at Ford. His grandfather worked on the assembly line, I think, going back to 1918 at Ford. So he's a Ford guy, but he also spent a lot of time at Toyota. So he knows what it means to be the disruptor, to be the challenger. Uh, I believe he worked for, was it Scion or Lexus? Like, he worked for different brands at that company, and he gets the way that, you know, doing things differently can be good. And I think he you know, uniquely is able to maybe put aside even some of the, the drama with Tesla, because I think he also just maybe doesn't care. He's just like, we're going to do this and not worry about that. And I think that, um, you know, however he got there, he's he's definitely reshaped the infrastructure uh, landscape this year. And, you know, that is just as big a question as the product right now. You know, there's as many good EVs out there is probably there are people who want to buy them, but the question is, where are you going to charge? So that'll be a big question for twenty four. Yep, huge, 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 huge. Won't oh, won't go away. I I don't think even when we do get to the Tesla superchargers, 
Uh, we're going to have so many EVs and obviously Tesla superchargers. There's a lot of them, but it'll be interesting to see when every single EV is trying to charge at them. <laughs> Continued questions uh, that'll probably plague us for a number of years. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So that's all the time we have for this episode and this year for 2023. We wish everybody out there a happy and safe holiday, a happy new year. Uh, shout out to our producer, Eric Meyer, who spends the year making us sound good. Thank you, Eric. Uh, we'll let his band and the theme song of Autoblog's podcast, Skyway Traffic, take us out. We'll see you next year. <laughs>